Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Kia ora everyone, my name is Chriselle. I am the Intermediate Ministry Coordinator and run youth alongside Caleb here at Windsor Park. I am a daughter, I am a sister, I am a friend and I am a colleague. I am a singer, a musician, a novice paddleboarder and when I'm not injured, a netball and touch player. I am a shoulder to cry on, a self-nominated road trip driver and a feeler. I am a student, I am a leader, I am a mentor. But most of all, I am a follower of Jesus. This is my identity. This is who I am. So, who do you say you are? How would you describe yourself? Take a moment and have a think about it. It's an honour to be able to share with you today as we continue our series, Character Matters, looking into the characters of some of the 12 disciples, those closest to Jesus. Last week, Caleb spoke to us about James, son of Zebedee. This week, we're exploring John's character, the younger brother of James. As Caleb brought to our attention last week, Jesus defines James and John in the Gospel of Mark as sons of thunder. And if you know anything about John, who we now refer to as John the Apostle, you may think of him as the disciple of love or the one who Jesus loved. So, How did he go from thunder to love? If you're a Marvel fan out there like me, no, we're not talking about Thor, love and thunder. Sorry to disappoint or mislead you. But like Thor, we sit with these two extremes in this tension, a passionate anger and a selfless love. Today, we're exploring the transformation that John had, how his identity shifted to inform his character for him to later become one of the pillars of the church, and how we too can be challenged and grown to be who God calls us. Now, character and identity are closely linked. The way I see it, our character is informed by what we place our identity in. Our character is the actions of our identity. So who we believe ourselves to be, the stories we tell ourselves, and how we define ourselves changes how we act. Our character is the fruit of our identity. As I said earlier, James and John were known as the sons of thunder. And we see this trait come out a few times with the reactions James and John had in particular situations. Caleb referred to this last week as passion and James and John were really passionate. When we look at the chapter, the character of John, we see three particular occasions where John is challenged by Jesus because frankly, he gets it wrong from that misguided passion. In Luke 9, 51 to 54, James and John suggest calling down fire from heaven to destroy the village that didn't welcome Jesus and the disciples. A pretty extreme reaction, I might say. In Mark 9, 38 to 41, John notices someone driving out demons in Jesus' name. So he tells them to stop because they're not one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Matthew 20, 20 to 24, James and John bring their mother to Jesus to ask if they can sit at Jesus' right hand in heaven. And Jesus' response in all these occasions? Well, 
As you can imagine, Jesus rebukes them and corrects them. I can imagine Jesus with a big sigh being like, hold up, when did I teach you this? Have you been paying attention? You've been with me this whole time and yet you still don't get it. Jesus though, as Jesus does, lovingly keeps John to account. And we don't see John arguing with Jesus. We don't see him challenge Jesus. In fact, in all of these situations, Jesus teaches James and John a lesson and moves on. John takes correction. Do you remember a time where someone has either told you off for doing something wrong or tried to correct you in some way? Often these situations become defining moments for us, something we remember that might bring up pain, embarrassment or shame, even if it wasn't the original intention. Maybe we are open to feedback, but correction is the action of us making a change. As a part of our discipleship, we need to be willing to take correction, to be more like Jesus, even if it hurts and we don't like it. I remember a time where this happened to me when Ethan and I were working together a couple of years back. I say this with permission from Ethan and also knowing that him and I are close friends. When we worked together, Ethan often called me out on my character. I carried with me the pain I had held from my past and often let it control my emotions and my actions. I remember this one time Ethan saying, it's not about how well you do things. You're more than capable. It's about your character. Ouch. I was angry at him. I was frustrated. I thought he was wrong and I wondered how he could say something so mean. Honestly, I thought he hated me. It made me feel like I wasn't good enough. After some time and perspective, I saw that Ethan was trying to lovingly call me to account. And as hard as it was, I did some really intentional work on myself. I did change significantly. I went on a course called Soul Tour, which made me face my skeletons in the closet. And not long after that, I started getting counseling. Since doing the work then and continuing the work on myself now, as a result, I'm more grounded and secure in my identity, and I have more grace and awareness of other people's intentions. I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm growing. So how well do we take correction? Are we defensive and shut off, or are we curious and teachable? How we respond to feedback and criticism says far more about our character and can be what continues our relationships with others or tears them apart. The difference will be whether we're willing to do the work or choose to stay set in our ways. On the other side, when we call each other to account, I think at times we're just afraid to offend people. We don't want something to get in the way of our relationship with someone. Accountability, though, comes with love. Without love, it's just judgment. And when it's judgment, we put ourselves in God's position, which was never meant for us in the first place. The word teaches us that it is loving to call each other to account in the right way, with love, with patience, with kindness and compassion, with wisdom and with truth. Jesus does this constantly throughout his ministry to the disciples and to the crowds. When we are in close, strong, healthy relationships with each other, we are able to hold each other in love and accountability like iron sharpening iron. We can only do this when we lean into the relationship with God and with others. 
like John leans in. John shows us what it is truly like to be in relationship with Jesus. He leans in and he keeps close. One particular situation where we literally see this is in the Last Supper. In John 13, 18 to 30, after Jesus has just washed the feet of the disciple, he is talking to the disciples, predicting his betrayal. From verse 21, John writes, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at loss to which of one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Now I want to stop here and notice what's going on. All of the disciples are sitting around with Jesus, puzzled at what he's talking about. We look at John, who is described in John's gospel as the one whom Jesus loved, which we'll get to in a moment. John was reclining next to Jesus. Some translations even say John was reclining on Jesus' bosom. Now in context, it wasn't uncommon for the disciples and Jesus to be reclining. The type of table that was used meant that the disciples had to recline around the table on cushions, supporting their body with their left arm and using their right hand for eating. So John was obviously next to Jesus, lying so closely that he could recline on his chest. It shows us the closeness in his relationship with Jesus. Now, I imagine this situation like Jesus tells the disciples one of them is going to betray him. They're all shocked. Like, what? Who of us would do that? Peter turns to John and is like, psst, ask Jesus who it is. And I get this image in my head that John is lying back on Jesus and turns to him like, hey, Jesus, who is it? In this moment, we truly see just how close John is with Jesus, that they have an intimate relationship. And we also see the strength in their relationship in a number of other places. In Matthew 17, 1 to 3, Jesus takes Peter, James and John to a mountain with him before he transfigures before them. Mark 5, 37 to 40, we see Jesus again only take Peter, James and John to witness Jesus bringing a child back to life. In Mark 14, 32 to 34, Jesus takes the three to Gethsemane with him to pray. And in John 19, 26 to 27, Jesus entrusts John specifically to take his mother as his own before he is crucified. John kept close and leant into Jesus. And in turn, he was invited to be a part of some of the most significant moments in Jesus' ministry. Now, John's actions teach us too to lean into Jesus and develop our relationship with him. Regardless of how long we have been following Jesus, we always will have the opportunity to lean into him more and learn more of his ways. We hear often that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. But do we let the word of God be our way, our truth and our life? Do we humble ourselves to take the opportunity to grow and be corrected by the word of God by leaning in? Or do we continue to live the way that we always have? When we spend time in the Word, in prayer, in worship, and in spiritual disciplines, we see less ritual and more relationship. 
We focus less on ourselves and more on what God is doing and the mission he's calling us to be a part of. John grew to know that mission well. John then identifies himself. Finally, after his time spent with Jesus and growing in his discipleship, we see the way John identifies himself as the one whom Jesus loved. In the Gospel of John, we read this in five different occasions. John 13, 23, 19, 26, 22, 21, 7, and 21, 20. If we read this from our own cultural lenses, our first thought could be, what's so special about John? We've heard that he's messed up and he's pretty arrogant calling himself the one whom Jesus loved. Really, it's quite the opposite. It was common for writers to omit themselves from the accounts or use third person. We can piece together that this is in fact John from what the other gospels tell us. But in John referring to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, he's actually drawing attention towards Jesus and the way Jesus transformed his life. From taking correction and leaning into Jesus, John claims his identity as the one whom Jesus loved. He is acknowledging the power and the transformation Jesus had in his life, that through the love of Jesus, he has found his true identity and purpose. This love continues to be the theme threaded through everything John goes on to do. As the writer of the Gospel of John and his three letters and Revelation, John does not shy away from making God's love known and pointing towards Jesus. Jesus, who journeyed with John from beginning and had patience with him when he was wrong. Jesus, who pulled John in closer as a result of John leaning into him. Jesus, who died for John and for us in the place of our sin and transgression. Jesus, who offers us a way, a truth and a life. From John's definition and his own identity, we see him go from thunder to love. We see a transformation in his character. We see a security in his claim over being loved by Jesus. And we see the work and hand of God's transforming power over his life. So we learn from John to take correction, remaining curious and teachable and holding each other to account with love. We lean into Jesus, spending time in the word and prayer and worship, learning more about God and growing in relationship with God. And we claim our identity as loved by God, putting God first above all else of what we believe ourselves to be. Today, I began asking us all a question. Who do you say you are? How do you define yourself? I believe myself to be a lot of different things, whether that be from relationships, from what I'm good at, from what I enjoy, or my personality. But at the core of my identity is the love of God defining exactly who I am. And that changes the way I live. Is who you say you are different from who God is calling you? How does your identity inform your character? How do you change? Whether you're a parent, a spouse, a child, a lawyer, a teacher, or a video gamer, you are loved by God. And that is exactly who you are. Let's pray. God, I thank you that our identity is found in you, that we can see through the character of John just the goodness of who you are, 
Jesus, that we can learn so much um, about your patience, about your correction, your guidance, about leaning into our relationship with you and about identifying ourselves as loved by you. I pray that we continue to grow and transform God. May you help us to learn more about you. May you help us to have more passion to be guided by you. And may you grow the depths of our love for you, God, that we may transform into looking more like you, Jesus. I thank you for John and his character and his words and how you have worked in his life to show us how to be a follower of you, Jesus. We pray this all in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.